0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we finally heard from Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith on the Deshaun Watson, Matt Ryan fiasco. You'll hear my thoughts on that, as well as whether or not they're the right tandem to lead this team into the future. Then later, we'll be joined by Daniel Lust, a sports attorney and law professor, who will take us through the ins and outs of Deshaun Watson's ongoing legal issues.
1: You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, I've been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalkFans.com. R.I.P. still going strong on Twitter at FalcFans, and of course the host of this preeminent. Locked on Falcons podcast or daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And I want to thank everyone that makes Lockdown Falcons their first listen each and every day. Of course, On Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google and Spotify, as well as on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the On Falcons YouTube channel. Of course, the On Falcons YouTube uh, version of the podcast goes up the night before the audio version of the podcast. So that's another reason to subscribe if you want to get uh, these falcon takes earlier than the rest of your peers but today's episode we will be later joined by dan lust a sports attorney and law professor at sports law lust on twitter to talk about this sort of deshaun watson legal issues and you know i think people need to be a little bit more aware of sort of how that soul situation went down because over the last week we heard a lot of people talking about you know what the falcons pursuit of that meant and we'll get Dan to shine a little bit more light on that. But before we get into that, I do want to go on a little bit of a rant and I will try to keep this rant as brief as possible. Um, but, you know, Wednesday morning, we heard from Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith in the press conference. Uh, and sort of my general takeaways from that was it was very awkward uh, to sort of hear them try to defend themselves. It was just kind of a case of, of you know, people winging it or whatever the case may be really not having their talking points uh, in line uh, in that regard, which, you know, is difficult, but it it felt like you kind of knew which questions were going to come. But sort of my main takeaways from that were we did sort of officially discover that Matt Ryan did not have a no trade clause. They sort of played up how, you know, they were the good guys uh, in terms of trading Matt Ryan to wherever he wanted to go. They sort of played down their interest. They acknowledged that they did pursue Deshaun Watson, but they kind of made it seem like, It wasn't necessarily something that they were really invested in and they sort of skirted the sort of questions about, you know, looking into his quote unquote background. Um, You know, their excuse for, you know, the biggest criticism you've heard from me on this podcast over the last couple of days uh, directed at them for this Ryan trade was not getting a better haul. And their excuse was that they were helping out Matt Ryan, but you know, you can interpret that as taking making the best out of a bad situation, but I sort of view that as the bad situation was, you know, entirely their own doing. Uh so, you know, them making the best out of it to me doesn't necessarily give them a pass in that regard. And, you know, as I've said before, my problem has never really been that the idea of the Falcons trading Matt Ryan, getting rid of Matt Ryan. Um, you know, I've been talking about since August of 2020 that you know, there were consequences to losing and that they included coaches, losing jobs, GMs, losing jobs, and yes, quarterbacks losing jobs. Um, you know, my issue again, as I've stated before in the podcast is that they didn't get more for him. Uh, and I think a lot of that is due to basically them not really having a plan them sort of ping ponging back and forth over the last couple of weeks about what their plan is trying to get this guy, trying to trade this guy, keeping that guy, all these various things. And I think that's directly responsible for the fact that the Falcons, uh, didn't necessarily maximize their haul in terms of getting back their reward for Matt Ryan. And so, you know, the response is over the last, you know, 48 hours, for a lot of Falcon fans and probably in the comments already and then chat as you're watching this on YouTube or whatever the case may be. I'm sure I'll get plenty of angry emails telling me to move on. Right. And you know, the part of the reason why we're not moving on from this issue guys is because so many of you guys, when we talk about it, refuse to acknowledge that the Falcons kind of took a massive L on this issue. And you keep insisting that, no, actually this is actually a good move for the Falcons. And I get it. Because, you know, you're more focused on the results versus the process. You like this result. You like the fact that the Falcons are finally, uh, you know, rebuilding in that case. And you don't really care what what the process was to get to this results because the favorable was up. I deal with this issue constantly with fans, you know, year in, year out, week in, week out, when it comes to winning and losing, right? You don't really care about how the Falcons won or how the Falcons lost. All that matters is that they won so good. All that matters is that they lost so bad. So, right, I get it. Right. Many of you are already throwing in the comments as you have done the last couple of days and on Twitter, you know, well, Aaron, if you're so upset about this, why don't you go, uh, you know, do a, a Colts podcast or or whatever the case may be. Follow Matt Ryan to Indianapolis. Just like a year ago, you guys were saying, oh, if you love Julio Jones so much, why don't you go root for the Titans or whatever the case may be. Again, I don't necessarily get that. But guys, I would love to do On cult or On Titans, because it would allow me, you know, to talk on a daily basis about a good football team, rather than what we're probably all going to be subjected to this season, which is potentially one of the worst Falcon teams uh, that, you know, seasons that we've seen really since that Bobby Petrino year. Um, and, you know, the reason why I say that is because we're facing a significantly harder schedule. And as you guys keep insisting to me, that this is one of the worst rosters in the NFL, and, you know, part of my frustration beyond, you know, the Matt Ryan issue is, you know, you've heard me lay out all my cards on the table in terms of improving this roster on previous free agent Fridays. And I really wanted to see this team improve in the trenches. And so far this offseason, they haven't. And one of the other takeaways I had from their uh, press conference on Wednesday was that they, based off of how Terry Fontenot was talking about the free agent additions, he signed a talked about it with some sort of finality and then you sort of look at their salary cap situation depending on how much cap space they freed up with the Jake Matthews you know they may be only like two million dollars under the cap and so therefore probably aren't going to make any significant improvements to the roster from here on between now and the draft and so as I understand that there's more offseason to come particularly with the draft and whatnot I can't necessarily put you know final judgment on this offseason haul as things stand today um but like you know, if you're going to sit here and, and, and tell me, like, you know, this is all part of this grand plan, that this process was good, um, that, you know, they, they've added picks to five top 100 picks. They're going to have a ton of cap space next year. It's all part of this great plan that they're going to be able to execute. I say, right, why should I believe that this regime is capable of capitalizing on this great plan that they've now laid forth? Right. When we talk about this regime and what part of this roster have they actually improved in the year that they've been on the job? Like tight end, they got Kyle Pitts, the generational talent there cornerback you can say you know adding Casey Hayward now uh bringing back Isaiah Oliver seeing him blossom and in AJ Terrell's development but outside of that what other part of the roster has improved the running game isn't better the quarterback situation is not better uh certainly they've lost weapons um offensive line seems like it's taken a step back pass rush hasn't significantly improved you know Lorenzo Carter player that I wanted the team to sign but he's kind of a lateral move right you heard me talk about on previous free agent Fridays, like Vic Beasley was a five sack, 30 pressure guy. Dante Fowler, for two years was a five sack, 30 pressure guy. You know what Lorenzo Carter produced in New York last year, five sacks, 30 pressure. It's a lateral move. Where's the upgrades? right? Linebacker play isn't better. Safety play isn't better than what it was when they inherited uh, in, at the end of 2020. And so like, I know you're going to sit here and say, well, the reason why they haven't been able to upgrade the roster is because Dimitrov hamstrung them because they have no salary cap situation. Really? Is that true? Right. Were they really hamstrung from a salary camp? You've heard me for the last two off seasons sort of go through like 30 ish names of free agents, some cheap, some not so cheap that the Falcons could have added um, to upgrade their roster. And again, you know, the fact that they didn't sign, you know, they signed maybe a couple of those guys, including Lorenzo Carter. But, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that they've done a bad job. Oh, They didn't sign, you know, the players I wanted them to sign. But like the players that they signed alternatively, what massive difference? have they made? So I could sit here and, and question it, but of course, you know, Dimitrov is to blame for that. And, you know, we're of the opinion that once we get all this salary cap space next year, you know, when we get a hundred million dollars to spend, you know, all we're going to certainly start to be able to make good signings, right? When we've had $15 million to spend, we can't make good signings, but once we get more money and we can throw more money at the problem, all of our problems are going to go away. And this gets back to the core issue. You've heard me rant about countlessly uh, time and time again on this podcast, you know, it's the scapegoats versus savers. Dimitrov is a scapegoat, you know, and, and, and Fulton is not culpable at all for any blame of the current state of this football team. And, you know, we're going to rebuild this thing and all the free agents that we're going to sign next year are going to be saviors. All the draft picks that we're going to pick up this year are going to be saviors. And particularly when it comes to the quarterback conversation, right? Whether it's Malik Willis, whether it's, you know, Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or Will Levis or whoever, uh, you know, for the next five weeks or for the next year is going to be built to be a savior. And I sit here and go, okay, maybe, right? And, And one of the bigger misconceptions that people have had for me As I've argued with people, you know, now I'm a Matt Ryan lover. I used to be a Matt Ryan hater. And a lot of the assumptions that people have made when I've been critical of Matt Ryan or or talked about the Falcons potentially moving on is they assume that I think the Falcons are going to get a better quarterback than Matt Ryan. At no point, guys, in the last 18 months when I've been talking about the potential that the Falcons were going to move on from Matt Ryan, have I ever thought during that time that they were going to upgrade their quarterback situation. Right? I think it's very naive to think that they're going to get a better quarterback than what Matt Ryan was. Now, what I have have argued, particularly in the case of, say, a player like a Marcus Mariota, is that you can probably downgrade a little bit in terms of on-field talent, right? You get 80% the player, and with Mariota compared to what we were about to pay Matt Ryan, you're going to get 80% the player for like 20% the price. And I sat here and argued that basically, given where the Falcons are as an organization, that value seems to make more sense, like you wouldn't take that drop off at that eighty percent that 20 percent drop off on the field if you were a playoff team and a super Bowl contender, right because that's the difference between going to the playoffs and making the Super Bowl, right but if you're in a quote unquote rebuild or whatever the case may be, and you're you know struggling to win more than seven games, you would take that all day every day and so I look at the situation moving forward with the Falcons moving to the next quarterback, and the odds are that they're probably not going to hit on this pick right? When you go back over the previous decade from 2011 to 2020, you know, sort of leaving the 2021 class out of it because we don't know enough about it. 22 quarterbacks were taken in the top 10. You can say only seven of those guys led the team that drafted him to a, you know, beyond the second round of the playoffs. Right. And that seven includes players like Blake Bortles. It doesn't include Carson Wentz. It includes Jared Goff. But if you sort of take, you know, Bortles and Goff out of the equation, because again, no one's going to sit here and be like, those were great quarterbacks. The other five, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Cam Newton, and Andrew Luck, five out of 22. That's a 20% hit rate roughly, right? Even if you were to stretch the parameters and, and you know, not just basically base it off of making it to the second round of the playoffs so that you could, you know, throw guys like Winston, throw guys like Golfing into the equation, throw guys like Kyler Murray or Justin Herbert into the occasion. You're adding, you know, it's still not including Blake Bortles. So you're only adding four more guys. So nine out of 22. So that's roughly a 40% hit rate. So there's a 60 to 80% chance, guys, that whether you think, whether it's Malik Willis or CJ Stroud or whoever, that that guy is not going to be this savior. That is not going to be the guy capable of leading the Falcons to a, you know, NFC championship game at any point during his career. The difference between me and you guys, I recognize those odds, right? If you want to sit here and say, oh, you're too negative, Aaron, it's because I see those odds. And I say, like, what are the odds that the Falcons are going to find the guy? What are the odds that you look at this regime based off of what they have done over the last year and think they're going to be the, the team that hits that 20 to 40% of the time. This is why you continue to hear me. You're going to hear me talk about for the next five weeks. I think the Falcons should draft a quarterback this year. And that does not preclude them from taking quarterback next year because you got to get at bite at bats guys. If your batting average is somewhere between 200 and 400 and you're going to only take one swing at it, what are the odds you're going to get hit? You need to take multiple swings. You need to get multiple at bats at this thing. If you want to maximize your chances that you're going to actually hit on this pick and find the right quarterback. And so I look at it. What makes me feel confident that they're going to figure this thing out? And I look at it and I say, not a whole lot. Right. And I think this is why you have to pay attention to the process, not just the result. Because to me, you've seen for the most part, a lot of bad processes in the last couple of weeks have exemplified a bad process and a flawed process. So I would love to see it, guys. I'm not sitting here saying that it can't be done, that they can't hit on these picks, that they can't hit on free agents and whatnot and get this team back to being a competitive team year in and year out. But so far, I haven't been impressed. There's nothing better than I would love to do is in six weeks from now on this podcast and say, man, this is one of the best draft hauls we've seen from a Falcons team in a long time. Right. There's nothing I would love to see than six months from now, right? When we're in the season and like, man, Arthur Smith, you know, after a pretty lackluster year one, him, Dean Pease, and this coaching staff are really cooking and making the most out of this talent level. I would love to have those conversations here on the podcast, guys. But I sit here not being negative or at least, you know, in my eyes, being realistic and saying how many of these issues are really great bets at this time. And I think it's fair to be skeptical. And maybe you're not as skeptical as I, maybe you're not as critical of this regime as I am, but I think the minute you take off your rose colored glasses, you should be skeptical. We'll move on and talk with Daniel lust about Deshaun Watson situation. As usual, I can't keep my rants under, you know, 15 minutes. <laughs> I was, I was hoping for under 10 minutes, but uh, yeah, there you have it guys. Uh, I'm sure I still have more to say in the comments here on YouTube. But, uh, you know, before you leave that angry comment, I want to thank you guys for making Locked on Falcons your first listen. And as always, I like to recommend what your second listen should be. So why not check out the Locked on Hawks podcast and get insight into Trey Young's big night at MSG? And of course, you can find Locked on Hawks on all the same podcast platforms. You can find Locked on Falcons, including now on YouTube. So, guys, we know that the NCAA tournament is ongoing, and I'm sure some of you have already had your brackets busted. Well, guys, you can get back into the game and still earn some money and redeem yourself uh, by heading over to betonline.net, the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. And today on Thursday, as most of you are listening to this is the final day for you to enter into their $100,000 sweet 16 contest. And there will be hundreds of winners and top prize goes to someone and they will earn $25,000. And even if you're not into March Madness, uh, you can still head on over to Bet Online where they have you covered with NBA, boxing, UFC, golf, hockey, esports, favorite Vegas casino games. You can get in on your draft props as well. So head to the website today at betonline.net or use your mobile device to sign up today. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. And today I am joined by Dan Luss at Sports Law Luss, one of the hosts of the conduct detrimental podcast who's specialized in sports related legal issues. We had him on uh, two years, almost two years ago now to talk about sort of the COVID pandemic and how that was going to impact the league. Now we have him uh, to come back on and talk about the sort of big story involving the Falcons as well as the league uh, involving Deshaun Watson's ongoing legal uh, issues, civil cases. We'll get Dan's thoughts on that. But Dan, I want to say welcome back to the show.
1: My pleasure. Uh, and I think uh, when we spoke our first time, certainly under different circumstances, we are talking a little bit closer to, to football. I think back then we were talking about how football was not being played. So. We're getting closer, and one time I'll come and we'll just talk shop, stuff. But just... I'll,
0: I'll keep it open for you. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens uh, in that regard. But uh, let, let's let's go back, rewind the clock a, a couple. I don't know, a couple of days ago. It's been a whirlwind; it's hard to keep track of time. Uh, roughly twelve days ago, when Deshaun Watson um, did not get indicted by the grand jury and i think a lot of people as well as seemingly a lot of teams took that as uh rightfully that the criminal issues involving Deshaun Watson the criminal cases are no longer going to move forward but i think a lot of people sort of interpret that as oh he's innocent of any criminal sort of negligence i guess could you shine a little bit of light on that uh for you know the listeners to get your thoughts on that
1: yeah no problem i i think um you know and i don't i don't mean to pick on any one reporter in general, but I think it's sometimes um, you know, you can only see a headline, right? The grand jury doesn't indict Deshaun Watson. And there's an understandable reading of that to say, oh, I guess the guy didn't commit any type of crimes, right? The guy's, you know, uh, guy's innocent, didn't do anything wrong. The truth has come out, which, you know, a lot of people took that took to that take. And not to say that they, you know, meant anything by it, but it just kind of demonstrates sometimes, you know, it is what it is, a, a fundamental misunderstanding of of the legal system usually, right? There are shades of gray. Even if a guy, um, you know, hypothetically, um, you know, is found not guilty, it doesn't mean he didn't do it. It just means that there wasn't sufficient proof to get there, or right, which we can get into a little bit, Aaron. It could mean that the lawyers messed up, right? That's always a, a conclusion here, right? Sometimes you can't blame the victim. You got to trust the lawyers to, to present a proper case. So, um, I guess there, there are really, at least to me, two ways to look at the grand jury night not indicting Deshaun Watson. You know, I guess at a fundamental level. The grand jury has a standard called probable cause, which is a very low standard. It's much lower than when you go to, you know, you hear on like and order beyond a reasonable doubt. That's like, I don't know, that's like 90 percent. You feel that confident up to 90 percent. In a civil case, it's something like something called the preponderance of the evidence, which is like something like 51 percent. That's how a guy like O.J. Simpson can be found not guilty criminally, but still found liable civilly because it's somewhere between 51 and 90 Now I'm telling you, Aaron, which, you know, our listeners can take my word for it. Probable cause, as crazy as it sounds, is under 50%. It's, I don't know, make up a number, 15, 10%. Just if you think there's enough to get you to that level, doesn't mean that you have beyond a reasonable doubt, but probable cause. So a lot of people are reading the fact that there was no indictment and saying, wow, the grand jury didn't even feel that there was like, you know, 10% chance of getting it. Guess that must mean the guy, you know, guy didn't do anything. No, the truth is, um, I I think that's a logical reading of it, right, that there's not enough evidence here. But the other one is that the prosecutor just didn't put on a strong enough case. There was a report, which I'm sure you saw, that uh, nine women were subpoenaed to the grand jury, but only one actually provided live testimony. So I'm not sure. I mean, if you believe the report, I'm I'm not sure why that would be the case. But that can tell you, hey, maybe, uh, you know, the prosecutor's looking back and saying, I wish I did things differently. So it doesn't mean you can't really read whether Deshaun Watson did or didn't do something. Um, but it's there's certainly a reading of it that the evidence was not as strong as I think some people believed
0: now you bring up that point about the the prosecution and i this was something that you guys discussed on contract detrimental previously when you discussed this was this notion that uh because of not necessarily presenting all the women's testimony in that and the fact that they could have if they wanted to instead of going for sort of the felony prosecutions, but maybe lower it to a misdemeanor, which would have been a much easier case to make. And the fact that they didn't do that maybe meant that the prosecution was kind of, I guess, maybe looking for more of a political motivation in terms of saying, we presented this, the grand jury didn't indict. So it's over. I did my job instead of sort of making a much more controversial decision, which would have been potentially beforehand if there wasn't uh, enough evidence in this issue to just simply drop the charges or drop the case, uh, you know, at the outset and not even make it to the grand jury. Could you shed a little bit more light on on that particular yeah. perspective?
1: You know, and, and Aaron, I, I can tell you listen very closely. I'm happy to unpack it. It's it's an, it's an interesting theory we're getting to, um, you know, and it's the one that I think is not getting as much attention because obviously the Cleveland Browns were paying attention, right? Those guys paid, uh, you know, 110 cents on the dollar. You know, those guys, there was no discount for, for anything. right? grand jury to them, to the Cleveland Browns, sent all of his problems uh, are gone, and we don't think there's any validity to this. So um, I guess let's start there. In Texas, um, in order to charge a misdemeanor, you don't need to go to the grand jury. So if the grand, you know, if the prosecutor's office there really wanted to charge Deshaun Watson with a crime, they could have just signed, and, you know, uh, signed a couple papers, you know, signed off, and, and they could charge him with a misdemeanor. In order to charge a felony in the state of Texas, you have to go through the grand jury. So the grand jury came back here. We don't, you know, we're not going to know what happened exactly at the grand jury. It's a secret proceeding. But um, let's just say there was a different route if the prosecutor really wanted to charge a crime. So let's, I mean, a little bit of the timeline for, you know, our Falcons fans. We've been in the weeds in this since March of 2021 when the case started. You haven't, an an investigation went on for one full year. Uh, There was no announcement of criminal charges, no nothing. Um, And then you just kind of have the grand jury. So you have to ask yourself why the prosecutor's office would take this case to a grand jury. Um, Usually you don't want to take a case to a grand jury that you think you're going to lose. That doesn't really make sense. So when we heard they were taking it to a grand jury. That was one reading of it, right, that they they thought they had enough evidence to get an indictment. The other reading of taking it to the grand jury was at some point we need to make a decision on this Deshaun Watson case. Um, we could say we're electing not to pursue charges. But then, right, as the DA's office, you take the hit. So what happens in some of these cases in jurisdictions across the country, sometimes the DA's office will give it to the grand jury and say, you know what, um, it's a secret proceeding. No one will find out what we're doing, but we'll give it to them. And if, you know, if they think there's enough to indict, they think there's enough to deny, but um, that's it. So th- there's another reading. And again, we're not going to know exactly what happened, but this is to the point where, you know, the, there are certain, um, you know, football analysts that just assume, oh, no indictment, that must mean the evidence is weak. There's a reading here where the DA's office just said, you know what, we don't want to be the ones to say whether there is a case or not a case. Remember, this is the Houston Texans. It's a Houston DA's office. And here's the football part. This decision at the grand jury, right, if it went the other way, flip of a coin, resulted in the Houston Texans getting three first-round picks. So certainly you don't want to be the DA, in Houston, up for reelection, when you cost the Houston Texans their most prized asset. So you have to think about that stuff. It's not the first time that politics have come into legal decisions. So, yeah, um, that's that's the thought process, there. that there is a route that they went to the grand jury here where they didn't really need to. If they wanted to charge him with a misdemeanor, he certainly didn't need to go you know, to, the, to the grand jury. So just, you know, we're giving people the pie. They can make their own determinations. But, um, you know, that's certainly, uh, I think, a, a logical reading of the situation.
0: And we're going to continue today's uh, conversation with Dan Lust, uh, talking a little bit more about the civil suits uh, facing Deshaun Watson, how that will uh, and potentially affect his suspension. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, how, you know. The legal system handles sort of some of these um, sexual misconduct issues, sexual assault issues as we continue and and talk a little bit maybe about the Falcons' interest in this situation uh, before the Browns ultimately pulled off this uh, blockbuster trade. And we'll get into all that as we continue today's Locked On Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug the Locked On NFL podcast. Big news on Wednesday with the Tyreek Hill trade. Get all the insight on that. On the Locked On NFL podcast, which you can find on all the same podcast platforms that you can find Locked On Falcons, including on Apple, Odyssey, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to Locked On NFL as well as Locked On Chiefs and Locked On Dolphins to get the insight on all that Tyreek Hill madness. So, guys, we're still here with Dan Luss at Sports Law Luss, one of the hosts of Conduct Detrimental. And as some of these issues that we've talked about already on today's episode, by all means, go check out that podcast so that you can get a little bit more further insight. We're sort of touching on sort of scratching the surface on some of these issues. But if you want to get a little deeper reading of of some of these things, uh, go check out that podcast. But as we continue today's episode, um, when we talk about, you know, now the criminal issues are no longer uh, you know, at stake. And, and that seems like, I think my reading of that was teams were like, oh, he's not going to go to jail, so we can go get him. At some point, he's going to play football. Uh, but there's potentially more punishment coming to him from the NFL side of things, uh, potentially due to the personal conduct policy. He did sit out all of the 2021 season, but that was a Texans Punishment, if you want to call that that. Uh, and the NFL has yet to weigh in on that. Sort of, where is your reading on the potential suspension of Deshaun Watson? And how do you sort of see the NFL handling this process moving forward?
1: So, Aaron, I think you, you summed it up well there. I think, you know, once the criminal case goes away, and, and there is, just I guess we'll, we'll close this loop, there is a world where federal crime could potentially result. There were only 10 criminal complaints that were filed in this case. Remember, we were talking about 22 and 22 women that had filed civil cases. But forty total masseuses. So, you know, the the Venn diagram of civil cases versus criminal complaints isn't like a perfect circle. There's there's shades in here. So, um, most likely there are no more criminal charges. But I think if you had to ask me today, I think there's most likely not criminal charges. So that maybe was the um, you know the straw that broke the camel's back. That's what allowed teams to make that decision. But certainly there's still these twenty two civil cases floating out there. Um, those don't, um, you know, the, I, I don't know why the Browns, um, you know, uh, your Falcons, uh, saints, right. Panthers that those are still very big. And in terms of optics, right. I don't know who, who's to say what's worse, right. One potential crime charge or 22 civil cases, 22 people pointing at you from, you know, across the aisle. So what, what I'm hearing on a suspension, um, you know, I, I think we got to look in NFL, you know, folklore there's right. There's. Ben Roethlisberger was suspended for 10 games once upon a time, um, six game suspension for Zeke Elliott, six games for Adrian Peterson for, you know, um, off the field incidents. That's in, in a sense maybe what you're looking at. But then again, Deshaun Watson um, has 22 accusers. So if you told me that the, you know, the time suspended was more than that, I, I don't, you know, I'm not I wouldn't be shocked. The, the thing, I guess, from a you know legal standpoint, contractual standpoint, the way that this contract was structured does give you an indication of what might be coming in terms of a settlement. Deshaun Watson has a fully guaranteed $230 million contract. Um, I, I don't know how to else explain this, but the first year of the contract, year one, is only for a base salary of $1 million. So the back part of that contract is not just backloaded. It is super backloaded, $229 million from year two onward. So what that tells you, I think a very fair reading, is that Deshaun Watson's team expects to receive some sort of suspension for the upcoming 2022 season. And that's because pro rata, right, the suspension would come out of your 2022 salary. But if you make your 22 salary $1 million, you're going to lose that much less money. So I think Deshaun Watson's team does expect a suspension. Just with those previous Crescent and I told you, I'd put the number probably around five and a half games. Just, you know, I think he either gets a six game or more or right Aaron. this is the crazy one, there is a world where he gets zero games. Uh, and that's because Roger Goodell refused to put him on the commissioner's exemplist back in October when his cases had been going on for six months already at that point. So I could see zero. Uh, I'd be surprised. I could see it. Um, I could see 10. I think the most likely scenario here is, is six. I think that's about right.
0: Now, you talk about the ongoing civil cases And there's obviously 22 of those. And I'm curious to get your perspective on sort of how that process will play out. Will this sort of be a situation where he sort of settles out of court with all these cases eventually and they just kind of go away uh, and they just sort of go under the radar or whatever the case may be? Um, Is there, you know, potential that, you know, six months from now or whatever the case may be details? of these civil cases will come out or a year from now or whatever the case may, whatever that timeline is where the NFL will say, Oh, we didn't know this at the time. You you know, you, you compare it to the Ray Rice situation where they initially suspended him, And then a videotape came out sort of, you know, that further uh, showed that what Ray Rice did and the NFL has sort of had to come down harder. Is that sort of something at play uh, with these ongoing civil cases?
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, it's probably a good point to say that what's going on now is not, uh, certainly not unprecedented. The example with Ray Rice, I, I hoped you were going to go there, right? It's with the NFL kind of prematurely making a type of punishment. And then there's backlash and then they, you know, NFL has to come back and give more across sports. Let's look over at Trevor Bauer, what's going on with the Dodgers had a, uh, a civil case that he, you know, was a civil restraining order a family court type hearing, a domestic case. He actually beat those charges. So there was no restraining order issued. And then the DA came out and said, well, uh, if you can't reach that civil burden, like I was explaining, Aaron, just like 51%, you're certainly not going to get to 90%. So the DA in the Trevor Bauer case said no criminal charges. Okay, so in that case, right, he has no pending cases against Trevor Bauer. I would think that Rob Manfred would turn around and say, okay, Trevor, you're, you're welcome to play innocent until proven guilty. Major League Baseball recently extended his time. On you know the commissioners, their version of the commissioner's example list is called the admin list. So that tells you, right? And I'm I'm getting to the question Aaron, I promise. Um, But it it tells you that Major League Baseball still wants to conduct their own investigation. They're not necessarily buying what happened in the civil court in the DA's decision. So as to these 22 civil cases, um, I don't think they're going to get settled anytime soon. I'm I'm happy to be wrong. Um, certainly Deshaun Watson just got 230 million dollars in guaranteed money, 80 more than anyone in NFL history. So maybe that extra $80 million can uh, be, you know, earmarked for the settlement. That's, that's possible. But settlement depends on money, right? That's one option. And the other reason sometimes cases don't settle is because of principle. And these women might feel wronged by the criminal justice system. They might hold out. Uh, there were reports at last year's trade deadline that four of these plaintiffs were refusing to settle, that the other 18 had tentative deals done, but that Deshaun Watson wanted a all or nothing type deal. All cases settled or none. Um, I think there's also a fair reading of this that now maybe four, five, six, seven, maybe more women refusing to settle out of principle to, you know, tell their stories to a captive courtroom. I think that's certainly possible. And then after all is said and done, Aaron, you could still have a world where Roger Goodell says, you know what, Um, I'm hearing more stuff behind the scenes, evidence that maybe was not admissible. I think we should suspend Watson. And that's that, that number I keep talking about. The 40 masseuses. Right, those extra 18 that didn't file lawsuits, some of them spoke to Sports Illustrated. Some of those um, you know, women filed criminal complaints. They have not yet filed civil cases. So the number is not necessarily 22, and who knows what's being said to Goodell behind closed doors. So I don't think we can quite tie a one-to-one knot with the civil cases go away. There's no suspension. Um, but I would, I would be watching what happens with baseball very closely. I'm sure Goodell is paying very close attention to Manfred in the Bauer situation. So that will give us some indication on our football sense as well.
0: Now, you talk about um, how the NFL is investigating these things and teams like the Browns and the Falcons, the Falcons, uh, you know, decision makers had a press conference earlier on Wednesday and they were asked sort of directly how much due diligence did they do on Deshaun Watson's situation, talking to the lawyers, talking to any of the women that have these ongoing civil cases. It sounds like from various reports that no team has really sort of reached out uh, to that side of the case and sort of relying only on the NFL's investigative partners or well law enforcement. Um, What are your thoughts on sort of that? And that seems, at least from my perspective, kind of an ongoing theme when it comes to these issues. There's one side that NFL teams pay attention to and trust in terms of their information, uh, and they very rarely reach out to the uh, you know alleged victims whenever these situations go down.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think the Browns took about 48 hours to put out that statement. They really sat on it before the trade was officially official, and I, I think they probably could have used a little bit longer because the statement uh, kind of rings hollow once you hear the comments from Tony Busby. Tony Busby is the attorney for uh, the 22 women that have filed civil cases, um, you know, in this matter. Tony Busby is not maybe, I will say he's a polarizing figure. Some people, you know, like him, some people don't. But just know it's kind of an oddity that all 22 of these women have the same lawyer. It's was, you're certainly, it's not a class action lawsuit. You certainly could have had 20 that had, um, you know, one lawyer and then different lawyers. So, Tony Busby is kind of controlling the narrative, which, you know, it's neither here nor there, but that's that's just what we have to deal with. So Tony Busby came out after the Browns management execs put out their letter. They said, we did this comprehensive analysis. We did our due diligence. We spoke to the attorneys. We spoke to Deshaun. We felt comfortable. And Tony Busby, with one, um, you know, with one basic report, says, well, sounds good. No teams reached out to me or any of my clients at any point in time. I understand why they wouldn't, and he's kind of a, hinting that, Maybe they don't want to know the truth. Maybe they're they're happy. You know, ignorance is bliss. They don't want to hear the accuser's side of it. Um, that's that's what Tony Busby's saying, and I have no reason to doubt that. Um, you know, because we know Tony Busby, he uh, uh, he leaks a lot of stuff to the media. I think it's been well reported. And if he's saying that no team spoke with him, um, it's interesting. I th- I'm sure he would have leaked if a team was speaking to him. That's just my my read on the Busby situation. Um, but yeah, I think the Browns. Uh, you know, as lawyers, you want to. If you know a bad fact on the other side, like I didn't speak to, to, you know, the accusers, I didn't speak to their attorney, you're taught in law school and, and any type of mock trial class, right? You got to eat the bad facts, you got to address them, right? Um, and and move on. Here, the Browns kind of look bad because they, they said, we did our due diligence. And then we find out that, you know, hearing, right, this was a he said, she said argument. The Browns only listened to he, they did not listen to she. They didn't apparently make any type of attempt to reach out to the accuser side. So, Two sides of the argument here. And again, the civil case is going to come down to credibility. So the Browns are only hearing one side of the argument. A jury, if this went to a trial, is going to hear both sides. So, you know, I, you can say the Browns did their due diligence. They certainly didn't go over the threshold. They didn't cross, you know, enemy lines to speak to the plaintiff side. Um, and maybe um, maybe they should have. Um, but we'll see. I think a suspension is the next step here. Um, but I, I, you know, I think I can – assuming that Busby report is true um, – I don't think the Browns did their due diligence and, you know, assumption of the risk. That's what we as lawyers say. You don't you don't make the call on the other side. I'm not sure how you can predict how the civil cases are going to turn out. Um, So that's I think was part of their obligation here. And, um, you know, at least by that report, they didn't do it.
0: Now, we've talked a lot about the legal uh, things surrounding uh, this. Um, One last sort of legal question when it comes to um, one of my thoughts on it. and, And this is purely opinion. Uh, is that, you know, there's been a lot of evidence I've seen statistics um, in the last several months talking about uh, how the legal system tends to not really do a great job dealing with sexual assault. That, you know, they're underreported, they're under um, tried, I guess, is is the word. And, and they're certainly under convicted based off of the uh, prevalence, I, I guess you would say they that they occur in our society. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that perspective of things. Would you agree with that? Or is that maybe not necessarily a fair way of looking at it?
1: No, I think that's fair. Um, I do, um, even on the the Bauer side, which, you know, I, I, I like to teach, so you know, Aaron, you know, I teach a sports law class. I, I always think it's easier to leave the situation we're in or compare it to what else is going on. Give us a little more perspective. Bauer is now, um, going after his accuser for costs in court, costs, legal fees, kind of sanctions for going after him. Bauer won his case, so he has a right to do that, uh, going after her for the amount of money that he spent on his lawyers to defend what was a case that was non-meritorious. But that type of action is going to probably quell people to come forward and alleged sexual assault. Um, And I think a version of that is potentially at risk here with Deshaun Watson, that these 22 women... Their case seems much worse today than it did a month ago. And um, these women's names are out in the public. We're not going to talk about them on the podcast, but their names are out there. And, you know, um, they, I'm sure, are not feeling so great in their, in their cases and confident, um, you know, in, in that they're going to be getting justice at the end of the day. If a grand jury didn't return an indictment, that might poison, as they say, poison the jury pool, those, those kind of reports. So it might disincentivize women in the future from coming forward. So the criminal justice system, you know, I think as best as it's it's going to try, it it it's not it wasn't built around the world that we live in today with twenty four seven reporting and tweets and whatnot, right? Um, there are people on Twitter, right? Like, and I'm not I'm not going to call anybody out in particular, but reporters that said the truth has come out, and it hasn't, right? I gave you three four different scenarios that could happen, and we don't know what's going to happen at the grand jury, um, and we don't know exactly what happened, you know, behind the scenes, so. Yeah, I, I don't know what the solution is, but all I can tell you is there is no black and white result from the grand jury. Strom Watson, you know, maybe maybe he did, maybe he didn't do these acts, um, but a grand jury not returning an indictment can't tell you that with 100% certainty. Certainly there's a reading of it where the evidence wasn't what we thought it was, but you know, there's a lot of political powers at play. And again, uh, I don't, I don't, not a conspiracy theorist, but the Houston DA, uh, in Houston, who just really helped out the Houston Texans, so just have to, you know, weigh all these different factors uh, and then make a decision for yourself. But you know, for our our sexual assault plaintiffs, um, you know, and these women that filed criminal complaints, I certainly feel for them because social media has, and the NFL world has essentially said, yeah, we don't believe these women, right? If Deshaun Watson can get a two hundred thirty million dollar guaranteed contract, give up three first round picks. Um, that's the Browns saying, yeah, we think he's good to go. We think he's ready to go. We, we don't think the guy did anything wrong. And whether directly or indirectly, that's the Browns sending a message that they don't believe the substantive merits of those cases. That's, I think, the only only way to read it.
0: Yeah. So, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the football side of things. Um, wh- what was your sort of reading on that whole, you know, multi-day saga of these teams, you know, various teams, including the Falcons, being interested in him and then sort of the Browns coming in with that sort of massive contract. What sort of, how does this, you know, how do you sort of interpret that?
1: So I I followed it very closely. Um, I understood the narrative of him going to the Falcons, right? He's a guy, you know, Atlanta is his hometown. He, when I was reading the reports, it seemed like he wanted to go to a place that was going to give him a warm reception. Um, So Atlanta seemed like a a logical landing spot. Um, And I don't know, he was down to the saints and he was down to the Falcons and he had ruled out the Browns. He had ruled out the Panthers. So I don't know what the final, um, you know, compensation or contract offer was on the table for, um, you know, from, or from Atlanta. Um, you know, and I don't know what the trade package was. My sense is that the, you know, that the Browns came over the top from a draft pick perspective and also from a financial perspective um, to try to get, get themselves back in the race and land their guy. So, you know Baker Mayfield in the middle of all this you know he said um you know he got his feelings hurt that they were talking or trying to get Deshaun so he said he demanded a trade so the Browns essentially had to bail themselves out they went from Baker Mayfield uh to trying to get Deshaun Watson to then no Baker Mayfield no Deshaun Watson um and they felt they had to bail themselves out so you know it's it's a win for i think player rights because you now have a player with a guaranteed contract, not something that Pat Mahomes recently got, not something that Josh Allen got. Um, So that part's good. Um, But it's certainly a weird way to get there that the guy that is, you know, now has the 100% guaranteed contract is a guy that had all the leverage in the world. And like, I don't know, three weeks prior, I was reading reports that there was a world that he could get released um, if the grand jury came back with an indictment. So I, I just, I find the, Zero to 180, like, I, I find that just troublesome. I don't know what other way to put it. I, I think the guy has a right to play in the NFL again. I would have been fine if he went to the Falcons. But I think um, Deshaun Watson commanding that type of a salary, I think they added a year and $90 million to his existing contract. Um, they gave up three first-round picks, like the Herschel Walker-type package, the Ricky Williams-type package. It just seems odd for a guy that was an untouchable and toxic trade asset for 365 days. It just, the, the flip, it just gives me some, some reason for concern.
0: Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of that concern and, uh, go ahead and plug, uh, your own podcast and, and some of the other issues uh, that you'll be getting into in addition to sort of the ongoing Deshaun Watson, uh, saga. I guess sure.
1: My pleasure, Aaron. It's, um, uh, I'm at sports loss and all forms of social media. Um, Conic Dutch Mental, the podcast this week, we talked about Deshaun Watson and the big story in baseball. If you're hearing me, uh, my, head, my head is baseball. We're getting there. Uh, we talked about the lockout last week. This week, this infamous Yankees sign-stealing letter, which, uh, you know, the Astros fans of my mentions are all hot about. They want to know what the Yankees did to cheat. They want to know what the Red Sox did to cheat. There is a appellate court in the state of New York that is unsealing a letter that Rob Manford sent to the New York Yankees detailing sign-stealing allegations. So uh, we're on top of it. We're looking at it very closely. But yeah, you can come to us for all things sports law. Um, but uh, Aaron, an absolute pleasure to join you to break this case down.
0: Appreciate it, uh, and again, highly recommend everybody to go check out uh, those episodes on Deshaun Watson if they want to get further into. It. And if you know some of these topics are further a further interest to you, uh, obviously Daniel does a great job breaking it down on contact Deshawn Mitchell. Uh, so Daniel, I really appreciate you joining me, uh, and that's going to do it for us here on today's Lockdown On Falcons. So guys, that's going to do it for us here on today's Locked on Falcons. And again, uh, won't be the last time we talk about some of these subjects as we move forward over the next couple of weeks. Because again, this podcast is more about process, more about than than necessarily focusing on the results. You guys have heard me that it is a results-oriented league, but uh, we do talk about the process. You know, that's part of the, you know, watching the film and all these various things when it comes to wins and losses and certainly in the offseason, you know, we need to talk about whether or not this team is being managed by the right people. I think it's a fair conversation. And, you know, I don't think, you know, it makes you a better Falcon fan uh, if you just ignore this issue and and just basically tell everybody who's critical of this regime to go root for the Colts or go root for the Titans or go root for somebody else. Again, like, you know, you know, I don't know. I just I don't I don't get that. But it is what it is. So tomorrow's episode is going to be another free agent Friday where we do talk about the free agent pickups that the Falcons had. We'll be joined by the host of Locked on Bears to give the insight into the ex-Bears at Ryan Pace. Is brought to Atlanta, you know, you hire Ryan Pace and all things go to hell. Uh, and we'll also be joined by Locked On Raiders, uh, hosts, uh, to give us the insight into Casey Hayward, uh, and you know, one of the few positives that have emerged from the Falcons this offseason. And we'll get into all of that on tomorrow's episode. I'm sure we'll have future, uh, insight from Locked On Giants for Lorenzo Carter, as well as you know. Uh, probably could have had locked on Raiders for Marcus Mariota as well. But uh, unfortunately recorded that before we signed Mariota uh, and, and traded Matt Ryan, but uh, we'll probably get locked on Titans to talk more about Marcus Mariota uh, potentially as well. So a lot more to cover with this off season on tomorrow's episode. Of course, love to hear your feedback. Tell me why I'm an idiot. Why i am a hater? You know, I was a Matt Ryan hater for six months. Now I'm a Matt Ryan lover uh, telling me why I should, you know, sign that petition, to get me you know, transferred to Lockdown Colts, whatever you want to do, whatever your feedback, I'm always open to it, guys. Hit me up on email at LockdownFalcons at mail.com. Of course, you can leave a comment here on Lockdown Falcons, and you can hit me up on Twitter or Facebook at Lockdown Falcons as well. And that's going to do it for us here today, guys. And you know, as always, always recommend second listens after making Lockdown Falcons your first listen, including the local shows like Lockdown Hawks, Lockdown Braves, Lockdown Bulldogs, Lockdown NFL, Lockdown NFL Draft, of course, to get you that insight into you know all these big pro days, occurring this week where the Falcons are traveling to and from at Matt Corral's on Wednesday. So find out the insight from guys like locked on NFL draft hosts, Ryan Tracy and Eric Crocker on their thoughts on these pro days, as well as other storylines impacting the upcoming 2022 in 2022 NFL draft. And of course you can find it on the same podcast platforms that you find locked on Falcons, including on YouTube. So guys, that's going to do it for us. Appreciate it till then.